This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Wednesday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions and questions about stuff going on in your life. Whatever's on your heart, all you need to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585 if you're outside the local San Antonio area. You can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the hands-free feature in your phone and the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the one button, call now. Uh, banner at the top of the screen, you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, because it's Wednesday, before we get started, I want to talk about something, but a reminder that tonight we have tonight we have uh, our midweek Bible study. I'm going to be in a really sad but an important chapter, especially for parents to hear, uh, Genesis chapter 34. So that's tonight at 7 o'clock. You can watch it at calvaryessay.com, or you can come and join us. We always have room uh, in the sanctuary on our midweek studies. Now, I want to, if you'll indulge me for just a couple of moments, um, Paul and I will not be live on the air tomorrow on our normal date day edition. I'm going to be traveling. I'm doing a retreat uh, this weekend. Friday, I'm going to be doing the program live from the retreat center. So tomorrow will be a pre-recorded uh, message or a pre-recorded program. Um, but I say that because tomorrow will also be uh, the eighth birthday of Malta Medical. Malta Medical, as I think most of you know, uh, is our doctor's office. It's a ministry of Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, and it is a fully functioning, free, general practice doctor's office. Uh, we have seen more than 35,000 patients in the eight years that we have been uh, open. Um, nobody has ever paid a dime. We don't take insurance, uh, but we have been providing um, not only wonderful medical care for our patients for all of these years, 90 plus percent of those patients come from outside our church. We actually thought it would be the opposite when we sort of gave birth to this ministry. But more than 90 percent of them uh, come from outside the church. In other words, they're people that we would never see otherwise. And people are getting saved and they're getting ministered to physically, those kind of things. Um, but what was just a, an impossible dream um, eight years ago uh, when we opened, we thought, what are we doing? This is absolutely crazy. Boy, has God really, really blessed it. The numbers of people that have been saved, um, the people whose lives physically have been saved. Uh, it, it's just an unbelievable blessing. I want to thank God for the wonderful staff that we have, Dr. Peter, Dr. Sheba, uh, Bruce and Natalie and Brandon and Maria, uh, just, just the whole staff over there, and there's too many of them to name all of them by name right now, but the whole staff of them, they have been almost heroic, especially in this last oh, 10 months, nine months or so um, during the pandemic. Uh, they've remained in the, in the firing lines, and God has really blessed. And uh, we, we, except for two weeks when we were closed, we were planning on being closed anyway when Peter and Sheba were going on vacation, on vacation. Um, we had to close for a quarantine period when when Peter uh, got uh, COVID. And since that time, 
Uh, we have been serving continually, uh, and we just want to thank God. We just want to thank God. We don't want anything from it. Uh, we just want to thank God for entrusting us with a message like this. Uh, I'm going to be doing one of my messages on faith, taking risks uh, at the men's retreat that I'm doing this weekend. And um, people sometimes think, well, it's crazy. It's dangerous to take these risks when God is asking you to step out in faith. Or how do you know it's God? And how do you know it's not just something that you thought of? You know, if we hadn't have taken that risk, that step of faith, imagine the rewards we would have missed. Imagine the joy that we've been able to bring into people's lives. Imagine the faithfulness, the day-to-day faithfulness of the entire staff. We wouldn't have been able to experience that with them had we not said, well, Lord, you said to do it, we're going to do it. And those are one of those things where we've simply got to be willing to trust the Lord. And eight years ago tomorrow, uh, we opened the door for the very first time at Malta Medical. And it has been an unbelievable blessing to see what God has done. Again, I want to thank the staff there. Um, They really are heroic figures to me. Uh, Their faithfulness has been overwhelming. And every one of them will testify to the goodness of God. Apart from him, of course, we can do nothing. So happy birthday, Malta Medical. And God bless you very, very much. Well, let's go to Ron in Converse on line one for our first call today. Ron, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Oh, you're welcome, Pastor. It's always a, a joy to hear you. I know that you, it's right from the heart, and there's a certain in, integrity that I, don't, I can't always find other than with you. And I had a special question for you okay. regarding... Um, uh, I have an individual friend that I work with, and he's a he's a really good born again Christian, and once an atheist. Now he's um he's a Baptist, and he's strictly King James. And um, I understand in his own church there was a uh, some disagreement or some uncertainty as to what happened to the soul to Jesus Christ. We all know that when he was on the cross, he specifically told the the one that took up for him. Um, Today you will be with me in paradise. Now, the question is, in relation to your 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 answer, that I know it's going to be right on, spot on, is that that they believe that Christ went into the earth, that that his soul, his spirit. Um, when he became sin for us, he literally he went to hell, and for three days, and then he arose, you know, on the third. And there's some in his church that believe that are offended by that thought, that think that no, he did not, that that the blood on the cross was sufficient, and that he did say, "Today you will be with me in paradise." I used to wonder, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. Did, did that mean that that that, that individual that took up for Christ was with the Father in heaven while Jesus Christ himself went into the the lower region that some believe is hell and they I understand that they have found evidence in the Bible to show that yes he did uh, depart to hell with our sins for three days and arose ascended on the third so uh, that is actually uh, something that he said his minister is having a rift with, that he once believed that he was, uh, his his spirit went to hell with all of our sins, and, and now he's come to the point where he dis- disavows what he once believed. And this is the minister, the preacher of yeah. So, Ron, I just wanted to hear from you, sir. Okay, thank you, Ron. I can do that. And thank you for your very kind words, too. I appreciate it. I'm just going to ask all all the callers today, please keep Malta Medical in your prayers as we celebrate the goodness of God. A couple of things, Ron. It sounds like this this particular pastor um, was exposed at one time to, to prosperity teaching or health and wealth gospel, whatever, whatever you want to call it. And 
um, um, men like Kenneth Copeland and Kenneth Hagen and and um, and their ilk, Jesse Duplantis, and so many others. Uh, they preached that Jesus did indeed go into the pits of hell where he was tormented by the devil for three days and then arose as, as uh, I guess the easiest way to put it, as the first born-again Christian, and he arose in victory over the power of the, of the devil. Now, that's heresy um, without question. That's heretical. Um, Jesus did indeed go into what we would call the abyss um, and and he proclaimed victory there. Not only did he proclaim victory there, according to Peter's epistles, uh, he set the captives free. If you look at Luke chapter 16, Ron, um, there is a story there, not a parable. It's a story uh, about uh, Lazarus and the rich man, Lazarus the beggar, the rich man. They died the same day. They ended up in the abyss, but they were separated. One compartment was the place of torment. The other one was what we call paradise. They could see one another from one side to the other, but the gulf between them was so great that no one could pass over. So while the, the while Lazarus was in paradise, um, um, enjoying what, what paradise would be, um, the rich man was being tormented and... Um, um, all he did, Jesus did, he, he preached victory. Um, he would have declared the gospel. Now, not in order to give the people in torment a second chance. Uh, Hebrews 9 says it's appointed unto man once to die and then to face the judgment. But he simply announced to the spirits that were held in that prison uh, during the time of Noah's flood, uh, Jesus proclaimed the gospel of grace. He, in effect, would have been vindicating Noah at that point. And then all of the people in torment who are still there would have watched as uh, Jesus emptied the place where Lazarus was, the place called um, paradise. It's First Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 19 and 20. And it says this, After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. So he did go there, but it wasn't for... For punishment, it wasn't to take God's wrath. All of God's wrath was taken on the cross, Ron. And in fact, um, Jesus, when he said, it is finished, that, that's a Greek phrase, to telestine, it means the debt is paid. So that's when he took our wrath, and upon his death, we, we lived. So when he said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise, that's exactly what he meant. But Jesus didn't go there, nor do we have any indication that he stayed there for all three days. In fact, we know that he didn't. But it was a victory proclamation. He went to set the captives free, according to Ephesians um, chapter 4. Um, um, so the heresy is that Jesus had to, take, had to be tormented or had to take more of the wrath of God. And that is very common and ordinary um, prosperity heresy. And so if I understood you correctly, the, the, the pastor is making a change from that which was heresy to that which is now orthodox in belief. And God bless him for doing that. It, it's neat to see that minds are open and people are willing to look at, uh, at the evidence, at, at what the Bible says. So that's what happened, Ron. Jesus did descend, but it was to set the captives free. And, and Ron, I'll just take a minute. I don't have anybody else holding. You know what I always like to think about? I love thinking about what it must have been like as Jesus began his descent. Now, this wasn't his spirit. This was him, his body, his glorified, physically resurrected body. Remember, when the tomb was open on that first day, Jesus was resurrected and alive. So Jesus went down in his physical body, 100% man and 100% God, to set him free. Can you imagine what it must have been like? Father Abraham and 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 uh, all of the other Old Testament saints that we hear about. Those who believe, looking forward to the to the Messiah. Can you believe what it must have been like? Can you imagine when the ground began to shake and the light of glory began to come into paradise? It would have been just the most thrilling moment of all. Not only that, but all of those who were held in prison in the place of torment, they also would have been exposed to that. And they would have known right then and there that their fate was sealed forever. 
Now, they still reside there, those who have rejected Jesus Christ. That's still the place of the, of the unrighteous dead. Uh, but those who um, had paradise, and paradise by definition is a wonderful place, but it was nothing compared to what awaited them when Jesus took them captive in his train to heaven, into the abode, the dwelling place of God. Ron, thank you for the call. And uh, if you get a chance to tell that pastor, uh, that at least this radio pastor said, God bless him. I appreciate so much that he came um, out from under the heresy that he's changing his mind. God bless you. Thank you so much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Josh wants to know, Pastor Ron, what is meant by born of water and spirit in John chapter 3? Let me read the passage, uh, Josh, and then we'll talk about it. I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Now, if it's just that one verse, I can see people saying, well, what does that mean? And there's a whole bunch of, of, uh, of different uh, interpretations of it. But Jesus interprets it for us himself. People say, well, you know, water is a, is a picture of the word of God, washing with the water of the word. So unless he's born of the word of God and the spirit of God. But that's not at all what Jesus says. In the very next verse, Josh, he interprets it for us. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. So what is born of water? Born of water simply means born in the natural way. And Josh, we all qualify. We were all born of a woman and we were all born the natural way. We came uh, out of, the, out of the, our mother's womb after her water broke. But that's just a reference to the natural birth. So first qualification for um, going to heaven is that you've got to be a person. That's very clear. Flesh gives birth to flesh. And then conversely, he says spirit gives birth to spirit. So that's what it means to be born of the spirit. We call that being born again. And the reason that's so important is because in this conversation, in chapter 3, the same uh, monologue with Nicodemus, in the third verse, and again, the fifth verse um, that that I read to you, um, he says that a man cannot inherit the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So the birth, uh, flesh gives birth to flesh, uh, is the the um, explanation for being born of water, the natural birth, and born of the spirit. Um, that's the the explanation, or the explanation of that is the spirit gives birth to the spirit. That's just the Holy Spirit uh, moving in our hearts, moving upon our hearts, and we give our lives to Jesus Christ and are born again. So that's all it means. There's no symbolism there. It's very clear. And Jesus himself, Josh, gives the interpretation of that. Thank you for the question. Aaron says, what can we know about the mark of the beast? Um, Aaron, we we can't know a lot about it. We can know a couple of things. We can know that um, we can know that if you take it, you're lost forever. We know that from the book of Revelation. We know that in order to buy and sell during the Great Tribulation, in other words, in order to, to, to participate in the community, to eat food, to, to pay bills, to do anything, uh, you have to have the mark of the beast. Um, if you uh, don't have the mark of the beast, uh, then they are going to, um, they're, they're going to find you and, they're, and you're going to be martyred for your faith in Jesus Christ. Um, but we know that the mark will be given uh, either on the back of the hand or in the forehead. Um, we assume because we're so technologically advanced that that it'll be a computer chip of some kind. Well, the te- that technology all already exists, um, but you know God doesn't need technology explanations at all. Um, the mark of the beast is the mark of the beast, just as though, just as you and I, Aaron, are marked by God. We're 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 given a seal, His Spirit, guaranteeing our our, our inheritance in heaven. Um, Satan, who is a counterfeiter, is going to mark his people. And so those are the, the only things we can know. Now, we can infer that no one will take it. You know, I get questions, Aaron, about the, the COVID-19 vaccine. Of course, the conspiracy theories are out there that that's the mark of the beast. 
Um, that's not the case. Everybody who takes the mark will do it knowing exactly what they're doing. Nobody's going to be tricked into taking the mark of the beast. When you take the mark of the beast, you are rejecting Jesus Christ and you're embracing the Antichrist. That's the mark of the beast. So it's not something we can accidentally take. But that's all we know, those three things. And um, there's no, absolutely no point in speculating any further than what we're told in the Bible. You know, there's so much time and energy spent on these conspiracy theories and all the things that we think it is and we try to guess. It's just like trying to identify who the Antichrist is. And we, we won't know and we won't see him because he won't be revealed until we are taken out of the way. So, um, you know, just take it at face value and be okay. I'm, I'm excited that there's going to be some surprises and some explanations. I'm surprised that we're going to continue learning throughout every day of eternity. That's how infinite our God is. So um, the only things we can know are those things. Uh, we'll take them knowing what we're doing, that they'll go, the, the mark will be given in the back of the hand or on the forehead. Um, and we can know that um, when we take that mark, we are lost forever and ever. So that's all there is, Aaron, to that. 340-9585, David says, where does the Holy Spirit go after the rapture? David, uh, Paul, in writing to the churches in Thessalonica, talk about the, 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 the restrainer will be taken out of the way, and that's the Holy Spirit. But it's not the Holy Spirit leaving earth. That's for sure. Um, that he's taken out of the way, it means that, that the Holy Spirit's work in the church is going to be taken out of the way. And the reason we're going to be taken out of the way is because we're going to be called up to be with Jesus in the air. It's a wonderful, wonderful possibility that could happen at any moment. So that does not mean the Holy Spirit, who is omnipresent, he is everywhere at the same time. He's God. He's omniscient. He knows all things. Uh, he's um, omnipotent um, in the sense that he's all-powerful because he's God. So he's still going to be here. And in fact, David, um, billions of people are going to get saved. It's going to be the greatest Revival in the history of the world, numerically the greatest revival in the history of the world, led by the 144,000 uh, Jewish witnesses. So he doesn't go anywhere, he stays here. But when it says, when the restrainer is taken out of the way, that simply means the light of the church is going to be taken out of this earth, and then everything is going to be plunged into total darkness. Now, I don't know about you, David, but it doesn't look to me like the church is doing a really good job of restraining evil. However, apparently we're doing better than we think we are because when we're taken out of the way and the absence of light in this world is going to be felt to such a degree that there will be nothing but evil. It will be like it was in the days of Noah when every inclination of man's heart was only evil all the time. And when we get that, when we understand that, we understand the value of the light of Christ in us, his church. He said to his disciples, by extension to his church after he leaves, you are the light of the world. No one lights a lamp, puts it under a bushel, but instead we put it up on a stand so that it can illuminate the entire room. And the church of Jesus Christ has been doing that now for 2,000 years. Are we doing it perfectly? Of course not. Is there still evil in the church? Yeah, that's the parable of the wheat and tares or the parable of the, the, the tiny mustard seed that grows into a tree that's so big that the birds of the air can come and perch in its branches. And by the way, whenever you look at a parable, birds always represent evil. So yeah, the church is so big that there's evil. I just had a question from Ron and we talked about, about false prophets and false teachers. There's evil in the church, always has been and there always will be. But still, there's a light. There's a glorious light. I don't know, David, if you saw the pictures uh, when we were having the, the huge fires uh, on the West Coast um, um, last year. Um, there was a satellite shot from, from outer space, and you could see the fires from heaven. And all of that, in all that, or from, from outer space, 
in spite of all of the darkness in, in outer space, you could see the light. Well, in the church, we're bringing light into the darkness of this world. And when Jesus said that we're to occupy until he comes, we're to continue being that light until the very end. So good question, David. Hope that answers it. Hey, we have 30 minutes left in today's program. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. We'll be back on the other side of the break. See you in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to Pastor Ron KSLR at gmail.com. That's Pastor Ron KSLR at gmail.com. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the program 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR let's go to michael on line one from san antonio michael thanks for calling you are on the air Pastor, first of all, thank you so very much for your program. We thoroughly enjoy listening to your words of wisdom, and so thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. The question I have is one that's been depressing me very much, because I find it so difficult to understand how some of our top, top political leaders are promoting killing babies, abortion, homosexuality, transgenders, and how can so many people be drinking the Kool-Aid when the Bible clearly tells us that's wrong? I I guess I'm just asking for a breath of air from you to say (laughs) it's going to be okay or something because it's so depressing. Yeah. Michael, I I feel your pain and and I share it. I'm not surprised by it, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But, but I share your pain. Um, my pain is even greater because there are now so many professing Christians calling themselves progressive who, uh, who take the same approach. Uh, well, you know, it's not that big a deal. Um, um, it's a woman's right to choose. Um, uh, whatever people do in their bedroom is their own, their own business. Um, and um, those are people that don't know Jesus. Now, I told you I'd, talk, I'd tell you why I'm not surprised. Michael, the Bible tells us that it's going to be like this. 2 Timothy chapter 3 begins with, uh, Timothy, mark this, watch this. In the last days, and, and, and Paul's inference there is in the last of the last days, there will be perilous times, and we live in that time. So, Michael, I think the, the way to understand this is, is to understand that, that it doesn't matter if you're, if you're not saved, it doesn't matter whether you're a president or a senator, or a congressman, or a mayor, or a governor. None of that matters. Uh, this is the evil that has penetrated this world. And because the world has turned so dark, um, um, it's all that much more important for Christians like us, Michael, to um, be the light that I spoke about uh, at the last, in the last question of the, of the last half hour. Uh, our job uh, it's more important now than ever. And people like you, Michael, you've got the opportunity now to be a light in the darkest place this world has ever been in. The darkest place. Um, we, 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 we care about people. We love people. We want them to go to heaven. And I think one of the things that the church has failed miserably in is that we have looked to the political system of the day as an answer for all of the evil in the world, and so we champion a party or we champion a candidate, and those candidates themselves are evil. And I think too often our focus is on the issues, our focus is on um, 
how to, to fix it in this world. So without further discouraging, I hope this encourages you, Michael, um, what we're going to see is the light of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit shining through, not to fix this world. Again, Paul makes it clear the world is going to get worse. But the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come through us to win souls. And that's always been our goal. The church has missed it. We think our goal is political power or popularity. Uh, That's why we get behind these issues. And and every issue you mentioned is pure evil. However, we should never be surprised by that. Because evil is going to get worse and worse and worse. And what we need to do is remember that the people who are doing the evil are not the enemy of our ministry. They're the object of our ministry. And we need to look at them and and just remember that there but for the grace of God go I. You know, Michael, I got saved 30 years ago. This month will be my 30th birthday in the Lord. Um, I was as evil as any of the things that you just mentioned. And in some cases, more so. But see, when Jesus captured my heart, all of that changed because he came to live in me. So we've got to remember that this is Jesus looking at us and saying, okay, it's time to go to work, church. This isn't about who won the election. This isn't about uh, the, the, the executive orders coming out of the White House. This is now all and only in these last hours of these last days, Michael. This is all and only about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen from the dead. I know our flesh wants to be focused more on issues. But Jesus said, no, focus on what I've focused on. I've come to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus said the healthy don't need a doctor. It's the sick that need a doctor. Michael, our world is really, really sick. So look up. I think that's all you need to do. Look look higher than the issues. Look higher than the circumstances. And, and this is a time, Michael, to get closer to Jesus than you've ever been. This is a time every day to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is a time to personally reject the things of this world and to say no to our flesh every day. Jesus said that, that if you find your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose it for him, you're going to find it. And this is a time where we tell people about Jesus and let the Holy Spirit make all of those appointed salvations. That's really important. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't participate in the political um, environment. Uh, We should vote. Uh, I I hope and pray that more Christians uh, will be led by God to run for offices. Um, But it doesn't matter who's leading this nation. This nation is embroiled in evil. And the only answer, the only escape clause is Jesus Christ. So, Michael, look higher. I have a picture, Michael, and um, Cindy, I'll get to you just in one second here if you'll be patient. I have a picture in my mind. Um, you know, we, we, we sort of look around at this world and our heads get lower and lower and lower because of all the filth that we see and all of the, the, the wickedness that abounds. That's what happens in Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, but as for me, my, almost, my feet almost slipped when I saw the prosperity, when I envied the prosperity of the wicked. Um, as my chin gets lower and lower, the picture that, that helps me is Jesus taking his hand and putting it under my chin and lifting it higher and higher and higher and higher until I'm looking above all of the circumstances, all of the evil, and I'm looking straight into his eyes. So, Michael, you want to be encouraged? Read Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 10 through verse 18. And imagine looking at that Jesus because one day soon he's coming. And that's what we need to remember. Our hope's not in this world. A better America or a better world is not our goal. Our goal is being in heaven. Jesus calls being with, or I mean, sorry, Peter calls being with Jesus um, the goal of our salvation. So let Jesus take your face and keep lifting your chin up higher and higher and higher till you can see above all the wickedness in this world. And you'll see Jesus smiling at you. And then he'll tell you, okay, time to go to work. Share your faith. Your little 
intimidated to do that? Get over it. Show your faith. Acts chapter 17, verse 26 is for you, Michael. God put you where you are, the place you are, and he did it for such a time as this. That means your life has meaning and purpose, and we need to be busy like Jesus was about our Father's business. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate the kind words as well. Let's go to Cindy online too. Cindy, thank you for being patient. You are on the air. Oh, I'm always happy to wait. I usually need that little bit of time to to get straight what I'm going to say. Um, okay, now, okay, that I was together. When, when I was little, my grandmother on my father's side of the family raised me from about, oh, I don't know, one and a half, two years old, somewhere until about four years old. And she told me about loving Jesus. And I knew in my heart that that was true. I mean, I just instantly knew in my heart that I loved him. Well, she also told me that I had an angel on my shoulder. So one day <laughs> she came in and she caught me grabbing the air above my shoulder. And she said, Cindy, what are you doing? And I, and I told her I was trying to grab my angel. You know, and, and and she didn't really say much about it. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is in Matthew 18, verse 10. I'm going to read this scripture. It says, See that you do not look down on one of these little ones. And now the point that I'm trying, the, the part that I really want to focus in on, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father. Now, it's T-H-E-I-R and not T-H-E-R-E. Mm-hmm. And so and I kind of wondered, is that why people think that we have guardian angels in heaven? So I'll get off the phone and, and listen to your answer. And I'm glad the day has been real beautiful for you and Mama Paula. <laughs> Thank you, Cindy. God bless. Um, a couple of things. Yes, that is one of the scriptures, uh, one of two that people use to say that we all have our guardian angel, but that's not what that passage says at all. Um, what Jesus is indicating there is that when um, something good happens or when we're being protected, the angel is nothing more than a servant of God sent to minister to those who will inherit salvation. That's you and me. So in other words, we're the focus of their ministry. But it's not an assigned angel. The angels are assigned to look directly into the face of God. And, and the picture I have in my mind is, is, is God saying, okay, go help Ron or go help Cindy. Uh, and, and it's God who dispatches them. So the angel gets no credit at all. Every time you see men trying to give credit to an angel, the angel goes, no, 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 I too am only a servant of God. No matter how fearsome or or terrible in an awesome way that angel looks. No, I'm only a servant of God. You see, they get it. On earth, we don't. So that doesn't say that we have guardian angels. What it does say is just like Jesus said, legions of angels, 12 legions of angels were available to help him. They were looking in the face of the Father, and all the Father had to do was say, go help. Well, in the same way, our angels are not just a guardian angel, that angel is looking at God, getting directions from God, and then it's God who is our rescuer. So we, we get a little bit too angel-oriented. My goodness, Cindy, books are written about angels, and literally the Bible has very little to say. The, the, the passages of Scripture that deal with angels in the Bible, they, they provoke more questions than they answer, and yet we claim to know so much about angels. Remember, it's the Father in Jesus' case, because Jesus was here, now Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, the Father, or the power hand of God. So right now, those angels are dispatched. If you've ever been rescued by an angel, and I have personally, uh, Paula and I have, and and, and uh, we've been in places, uh, I think two other occasions, where I know there was angelic intervention. But I didn't, when that happened, and I was saved, literally saved from death, in that incident with me, um, um, I didn't fall on my face and say, oh, God, angels, I worship you, angels. I thank you, angels. The angels are just servants, and they were there at just the right time because it was God and his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, that dispatched them at that very moment to help us. So that you're right. That's where some people get the idea we have guardian angels, but we don't. I think there's just too much um, a wonderful life 
embedded in our memories. Uh, makes for a great movie. Um, Clarence got to ring his bell. He got his wings. Um, but but that's an inaccurate, um, though heartwarming portrayal of angels. Good question, Cindy. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from our email inbox from Daniel. He says, um, I'm running into a lot of people that say that they don't need to go to church, that they can worship the Lord at home. What does the Bible say about worshiping with the body of Christ, and why should people try to join a church with other Christians? The subject also breaks my heart when I try to explain to people why they should go to church, um, but sometimes I can't get my point across, and I try not to get angry, so I kind of back off. What do I say to them? Daniel, all you have to do, and, and see, this is one of the things. I'm, I might go off on this a little bit if nobody calls right away. Um, the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling together of the saints. Now, it can't be any more clear. By the way, that passage is in a, a, a warning to the, to, the, to the Hebrews that Paul was writing to, a warning that, that takes him from, from drifting away to falling into apostasy. Seven warnings in the book of Hebrews, and, and at the end he says, don't forsake the assembling of the saints together, as some are in the habit of doing. So, if that's not enough for them, I don't know what is. Now, here's the reality, Daniel. People are lazy, spiritually. Technology, which can be such a wonderful thing, uh, can also be a thing that accommodates our spiritual laziness. Now, your question and the people you're dealing with are exactly the reason that we are so committed to meeting together, even during the pandemic. Uh, we closed our church for 14 days for, for two weeks um, when a whole bunch of people here got sick way, way, way back in June. Uh, and we did it because we didn't want to be contagious. So we just shut things down the way we were told to do it, and we did it. And since that time, everything has been fine. But you can you can understand, Daniel. There's been enormous pressure on churches to to well, just for because you love your neighbor, close the church. But here's what happens: people languish at home, and the enemy is relentless. And the people that say they don't need to go to church if they can worship the Lord at home alone are fooling themselves. I would ask them, so where do you get to use your spiritual gifts? Where do you get to be a blessing to others? Where are you serving? But you see, if I could stay at home, I don't have to serve. I don't have to make a commitment. I don't have to sacrifice anything. Not only that, but hey, I don't have to give. Now, we've got people here at Calvary Chapel, Daniel, that can't be here and shouldn't be here. And that's the way it's supposed to be. There are people that are are in uh, um, um, compromised physical positions, um, and and they shouldn't be here. It's just that simple. Uh, but they're still faithfully giving. They're still involved um, by phone uh, whenever they can um, with in, in ministry with other people. Um, but 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 they're still using the gifts that God has given them, and they're still giving. I think that's important. But too many people see this as a way, well, you know, I don't have to get up. I can go to church in my pajamas. I can sleep in if I want to sleep in. Um, and, and, you know, they can, they can, they have to belong to a church, so there's no accountability. They can listen to a whole bunch of people. You know, you can go on the Internet and listen now to the, the greatest preachers in the world right now. Uh, Paul and I, for example, are enjoying Charles Stanley all over again. When I first got saved... We both really, really were blessed by Charles Stanley's ministry. And then as I got into ministry and things started changing, we, we kind of fell away. Well, well, I love the fact that with technology, we can listen to him again. After all of these years now of faithfulness, uh, he has a lot more horsepower, at least in my life, than he ever did before. So that technology can be a good thing, but unfortunately it's made a lot of Christians spiritually lazy, and remember the enemy, the Amalekites, in the Exodus wilderness. The enemy always hangs around at the back of the pack. And he picks off the weak, the sick, and the old. And you can't be equipped to fight 
So ask him, so where are you serving? How are you using your gifts? How is it a blessing to anybody else when you watch online? How is it a blessing to anybody else? And the reality is, the only answer that they can come up with honestly is, well, no, it's a blessing to me. Well, church and being a part of church is not about me individually. We don't go to church to get our needs met. We go to church to be used by God to meet the needs of others. That just can't happen alone. So, Daniel, that's all I would tell him. And you know what? Um, your heart breaks and you need to pray for him because they're in a really dangerous spiritual situation. We're about on Friday nights, starting a week from this Friday, uh, to go into Ephesians chapter 6, where we will be spending quite a bit of time uh, in, in uh, the, the uh, full armor of God uh, spiritual warfare section. Um, the man or the woman that's staying at home because it's convenient, um, that man or that woman is not equipped to fight the enemy. One final thought. What churches have seen, and we're going to see, uh, there's been a lot of churches closed since March. What we have seen is so many people who have been out of church so long that now their lives have entirely new habit patterns. And those people, many, 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 will never get back into a church again. All the while, they're going to be convincing themselves they're all right. And they've let fear drive them away. The enemy has used fear to drive them away from church. And he's using this new habit pattern that they've developed and the spiritual laziness that it, it, it results in to keep them from being hungry for church again. That's how important it is, Daniel. We need to be in church. Period. End of statement. And all of the people online, wherever else, that disagree with that, they're people at a very low um, perception of church in the first place. You're going to see churches that never, ever return to the numbers that they had before this started. Church is changing. Well, I can tell you, Daniel, that God will do more with fewer people who are committed than he will do with buildings full of lukewarm Christians. So I hope that makes sense to you, Daniel. Thank you very, very much. Okay, let me see. We've got four minutes left. Let me get a, another question. Uh, Anonymous says, Do you believe that New Testament believers should be required to contribute money to building big sanctuaries over and above the tithe? Um, Anonymous, evidently you are in a church that is uh, in the middle of a building project and they're soliciting donations and, and, uh, and uh, commitments uh, to give to that particular fund. Um, and um, certainly no New Testament believer should be required to contribute money to anything. Um, you, you mentioned the tithe. I don't, we're not committed, we're not obligated or required to, to give 10%. What we are to do is to seek the Lord with a joyful heart. God loves a hilarious giver. We're to seek the Lord and say, okay, Lord, this is what you've given me, you've blessed me with, what do you want me to do with your money? That's, that's the lesson on stewardship. So no, I don't believe that New Testament believers should be required to contribute money. You know, Anonymous, and I'll, I'll just close the program today with this. Our, our, our ministry is different. Um, I opened the program talking about Malta Medical and, and uh, how wonderful it is. It's expensive. Believe me, it's expensive. But the church um, is delighted to be asked by God to trust him with Malta Medical. Same thing with our free school. Those are expensive ministries. Um, God provides. God provides. And God has told us two things. We're never to ask for money or let people know what our needs are. Uh, and we're never to go into debt for a sanctuary. That's why we have a tacky church in a strip mall. Um, lot, a lot of people, but it's a tacky church. Um, but you know what? I'm, I'm not married to a mortgage on this thing. Now, I want a church building. But if, if we ever get one, if I'm ever able to get on this uh, program and announce that we are moving God's provider, it'll be because God gave us a boatload of money to, to go over and do it. I don't think our, our, our congregation should ever be asked to give anything 
I think they should be taught about reaping and sowing, and I don't mean in a prosperity way, but we should be taught about giving to God sacrificially. And you do that in the verse-by-verse study through the Word of God. And then we have to trust God to do it. You know, we've had some um, big, big givers, big, big, big givers who, who left the church over the years. And uh, some because they moved, some because they died, some because they got mad at me, especially over the COVID thing. Um, um, but you know what? We haven't missed any of them. Well, no, we miss them. We love them and we miss them that way. But we haven't missed their money because God doesn't need their money. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and when he needs to, he sells a few of those cows and provides for our needs. But we haven't missed any of them in terms of missing their money. So uh, I think these building pledge fund drives and things are are uh, fueled by a lack of faith. And I know that will anger some of the pastors that listen to this program, but um, I think that's something that they've got to wrestle with Jesus over. Um, We've never done anything but ask God to provide for our needs, and he has done it faithfully. Faithfully. Hey, thank you for the question. Hey, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Remember, tomorrow uh, will be a pre-recorded program. Uh, I'll be live from the men's retreat that we're doing on Friday. We have church tonight at 7 o'clock, and uh, we'll be praying for you. Please pray for us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. This has been the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. We'll see you on Friday Live at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.